You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 148 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I'm back to being hot, Val, and not in a sizzling kind of way, unfortunately. People listening to us must think we're just recording in an oven or something because we're always just hot. Maybe we need to spare people from telling telling them how hot we are. It's just Sydney's heat wave, well, the heat wave that's you know, probably being experienced by most of the east coast of uh, Australia, certainly in New South Wales, is um, it's a bit nuts. It is. And it's become one of those things where, um, unfortunately, you realise how incredibly dull we all are at heart when something like this happens. Because, <laughs> I mean, really, at the end of the day, all anyone can do about is how hot we are. It's just yeah, like, it's okay, it's hot, let's get over it, you know, whatever. What's our next topic of conversation? It is anyway. very hard to write. But, but, you know, I'm seeing, so the fascinating, this is the fabulous thing about social media and the internet is because I'm sitting here and I'm watching my Twitter feed go through and there's, you know, Vancouver, I think, is in the midst of these massive snowfalls <laughs> and people keep putting up pictures of, of themselves in the snow and I feel cooler just looking at them. It's quite <laughs> lovely, really. So all my Australian friends have got kids under the hose, you know, trying to stay cool at nine o'clock at night. And then the sort of the the other side of the world, they're all in the snow. It's very funny. Well, we'll move on from the... uh, From the weather. Let's move on. And we're going to give a shout out to Misi from Australia, who's probably hot too. Hot. (laughs) Misi has left us a review on iTunes and has entitled it, A Consistently Useful and Inspiring Resource for Emerging Writers. And Misi has said, yeah, yay. I've been listening to Val and Al for just over a year and they have delivered so much advice, so many informative interviews and plenty of entertainment to this emerging writer and word nerd. Thanks she likes to the word tips. of the week. Yeah, oh, yeah, hey. yeah. Hey. That's right. Oh, sorry, probably... Macy, if you're he, I apologise. <laughs> Macy probably likes word of the week, yes. Um, Macy continues, thanks to the tips from their weekly discussion of blogging, writing and content creation, I have finished one oh. novel manuscript and am about to finish a second launched my author platform and it's riddleandchance.com so go oh, check out go. yeah she is a she hello Macy yeah check out Macy at riddleandchance.com found myself some wonderful beta readers wow. and built the confidence and expertise to plunge into the pitch and submission process for literary agents this podcast has lots of personality and lots of professional suggestions and info Subscribe. 
subscribe. Wow. Nisi, that's amazing. And you know what? I know, I know you're a she because I follow Riddle and Chance on Instagram. Hello. And um, we have also, I think, connected on Twitter. So, hi. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nisi. You've made our day, our very yeah. hot day. Our very wow. hot day. You just that's brought the weather brilliant. back in. Yeah, I know. Thank you so much, Macy. And of course, if other listeners have 30 seconds to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, we'd really be grateful because it certainly helps us in the rankings and it gives us a little, you know, inspiration and motivation and encouragement. Well, it does, particularly when I see all of those things that Macy's done and I just feel like, I feel like we're not talking into the into the ether, yes. people are actually listening and, 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 you know, and making progress, which is what we're all about. So, you know, thank you very much for that. Yes, thank you. Oh, so, can I also have a big thank you? I've got another yes. big thank you. Go I would just like to say there's been a sudden flurry of review activity on the Goodreads accounts for the Mapmaker Chronicles books, each of them. And I would just like to say thank you so much if you are a person who has recently reviewed the Mapmaker Chronicles books one, two or three on Goodreads because it really is really helpful to me and I appreciate the time that you take to do that. So thank you very much. Fantastic. And it's so helpful, isn't it, to have those reviews on Goodreads out? It is really helpful, and particularly with book four coming out soon and the mm. first three books coming out in the US later in the year. It's, it just makes a big, big difference to me. So I, I, I am very, very grateful. Thank you very much. Yes, so excited about book four. What's it called again? Uh, Beyond the Edge of the Map. I love it. Love it, love it, love I it. Can't it. wait for it to come oh, out. No. Okay. Yes, I can't wait either. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's move on to the world of writing and publishing this week. Okay. I have a um, a link from the Write Practice, and it's called "Want to Write Better Stories? Research Your Genre." Now, I thought that this was an interesting post, and of course, we'll put all of the links to anything that we mention here in the show notes, which you can find at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. But I found this interesting because so often we plunge straight into writing and we plunge straight into, you know, just telling our stories. And that's that's definitely fine, definitely fine. But if you are writing genre fiction, sometimes I feel that some people don't bother researching the genre first or or at all. Mm. And, and it can be really, really helpful. Now, this post is by Sue Weems. And she says that the first time she wrote a novel, she didn't think about genre until the first draft was done. So the the kinds of things that you might need to think about when you're writing a book, and perhaps you can do this like concurrently while you're writing it and you can research the genre at the same time, is think about what kind of book is this? Like try and identify the genre. Does it fit into a genre? You know, go to a bookshop and actually see whether it's similar to this particular kind of book that sits in this particular section. And one of the things that she says that's so important is who is my reader, but more importantly, what does he or she expect? Because if you're writing genre fiction, people who are lovers of that genre, they expect certain things. Mm. They they might expect a love story to end happily. They might expect a dead body if it's a mystery or something like that. So you need to actually research that genre because if you're if you're setting your book up to be in a particular genre and then you don't deliver on certain expectations, then the readers 
basically it's going to be a bit jarring for the reader. Mm. And and an example um, that she has given is that if it is if the genre is a cosy mystery, then you might identify the fact that it, there are key scenes in that mystery, and that is you know you introduce the sleuth, then there's a dead body scene, then the sleuth takes the case, then there's clues, misdirection, clues, the sleuth solves it, traps the killer, justice right? And it usually follows in that order. And also, what she's, um, in this example, she says that usually I identify that the main character change, because usually characters go on their own arc and they transform in some way, but in a cozy mystery, she says that the sleuth won't necessarily change, but we'll see new, new sides of the sleuth and community. So there's various things, whether you're writing a romance, and even within romance, there are different subgenres within romance where readers have certain expectations. They expect mm. certain sex scenes or certain types of sex scenes or whatever, and you've got to be able to deliver on that. So I think that that's really important, and not enough people do research their genre. Oh, I just find this really a, a really interesting thing, though, because so people... See, I'm slightly flabbergasted here. I'm, I'm looking really? for the right words. Well, only from the perspective that I don't really understand why you would sit down to write a cosy mystery without ever having read one. Big people do. do. Well, this is what I'm saying, though. Like, to me, if you are, if you are, I, I, I'm slightly flabbergasted by that because I just feel like um, you are setting yourself up for such a disappointing exercise if you mm. think that all you have to do is tick X box, Y box and Z box and then you're going to have a cosy mystery. Mm. I think the most important thing that you can do, I think you need to write, I mean, really, wouldn't it make sense to kind of write things that, that you like to read? Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't you like yes. write the kinds of stories that you like to read, A? And B, the other thing is that, you know, like I know that people who write literary fiction hate the idea of genre, hate yeah. the idea that their literary fiction is actually a genre. Yeah. Um, and so they don't want, you know, they want to be original and they're trying to write something that's completely different to anything else that's out there, mm. um, which is fine. Um, but I also think that if you're going to do that, you need to, if you're going to sell, it's, it, you can write whatever you want. And I, and I absolutely think you should go for that and write whatever you want. I think you should write the book of your heart and I think that you should get it down on paper exactly as you want to do so. If you want to sell it, though, you need to be able to explain to the market, whether that be if you're indie publishing readers or whether that be uh, if you're traditionally publishing a publisher to start with or perhaps an agent, you have to explain where it sits, where it fits. Yes. Because, And I think this is even more important than it's ever been before because with fewer bookshops, people don't browse the way that they used to browse. They're not going to mm. necessarily go through the whole bookshop looking for something. They go to the shelf that they want. They find it online. They either go for the book that they want or they go to the romance section, the crime section, the whatever section, and they look for what they like to read. So you have mm. to be able to explain to them that this is, a, this is the kind of book that they would like to read. Um, and I just honestly think that if, you're, if you think that you're going to sit down, you're going to write a romance novel because romance novels sell mm. um, and romance readers buy lots of books, without ever reading a romance novel, then you are setting yourself up for failure. Yes. Well, a story that comes to mind is a particular journalist that you and I 
probably both know. And um, she, some years ago, she, you know, she was a successful journalist. She wrote, she wrote mainly business-related stuff, and she decided that actually she was just going to write romance now because it was going to be easy money <laughs> and uh, she could make a lot of money. But, you know, that wasn't where her heart was. It wasn't mm. the, the, the kind of stuff that she was normally reading. And uh, she tried it for about a year or 18 months and it just didn't work at all because the stuff that came out, you know, wasn't good. Because it no. wasn't the, the book that she really was meant to write. Well, I, I mean, you know, I, as we've discussed before, I started out writing romance novels and, and that came from a place of at the time mm. I was reading a lot of romance novels. I wasn't mm. sort of thinking to myself in, in a very, you know, sort of calculating way, I'm going to do this and it's going to make me lots of money. I was actually reading quite a lot of romance. I was in my early 20s and I was reading a lot of romance novels and I thought, and it made sense to me to write yes, romance because absolutely. I was at the time I was you know, living that life and I was also reading about it and I was also writing for magazines that yes. wrote about it. Um, I thought I understood targets and I thought I understood demographics and I thought I understood briefs because essentially with a romance novel, you start with a brief. It needs to be X, Y or Z. It's this many words long and, it's, and I thought this is perfect for me because I am, you know, I've, yes. I've pretty much majored in this mm, <laughs> yes. as far as the reading goes. And I still, you know, I couldn't get it right. I probably, if I went back to it now with a slightly more experienced head on my shoulders, maybe I would have a better go at it. But I, I couldn't get it right because what I was trying to do was write a romance novel. I wasn't trying to write a book that had a, that, but I wasn't trying to write a relationship that based around a book. I was just trying to write a romance novel and I was ticking every box, you know, like right down to, the, I should read you some of it one day. It's quite hilarious. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I just, you know, I got it wrong because I tried to write a romance novel. Even though I understood them, I still got it wrong. Um, but I, I just think that if you're, if you really want to write crime or you really want to write romance or you really want whatever, you, you just have to read everything in them, yeah. everything on the shelf. But not only read them because I know that there are some people who do read the genre that they're interested in, but they yeah. don't necessarily read it analytically. No, and I think so, that's like wrong. Yeah, that's very, very important mm -hmm. is to put that analytical hat on and actually think what are the patterns here, what are the things that always happen, what are the things that always happen at the end, you know, and, and to break it down that way so that you can understand your genre better. Anyway, let us move on to another link I found in Right to Done, and it's by someone called Ali Luke. And she has written a post called For counterintuitive benefits of scheduling your writing time. Now, I thought this is, this is interesting because she talks about, um, you know, the importance of scheduling your writing time. And I know that, um, and, and she says things like, you know, you'll feel more inspired and you'll look forward to your writing because you know at 7 o'clock I'm going to do, you know, my writing, so you look forward to it. Um, and you'll procrastinate less because, you know, you've got a set time. But, mm -hmm. I'm, but you know how sometimes life's just really busy. You know, you've got children, you've got so many th things going on. And one of the things that you say, which I do from time to time as well, 
is you need to write in snatched time. Mm. Whether like when you're waiting in the car at swimming lessons, when you're doing, you know, um, you, when you've got five minutes before mm. the kids come home or something. And snatch time is certainly very, very important. But do you also schedule your writing time in addition to your snatched time? Um, yes, I try to. Like I do, um, I, well, put it this way, like once uh, when I'm working on something um, intensively, mm. I I schedule it in. Obviously, outside of holidays, I schedule it in when yes. the kids are at school. Um, and I, but what I—it's I, not the same time every day. I don't. I, my my sort of days don't work like that. But I set aside. You know, I, I will actually write it in my diary. Like you block this, it off. I block it off. I'm doing this at this time. I'm doing that at that time. I've got to go here. Yeah. I've got to do whatever. Um, yeah. And I actually just write it in at that point. And I never schedule, even when I've got time, even if I've got six hours when the when the kids are at school, I, I schedule in an hour mm. for the writing um, with other things that I need to do because I don't ever realistically use more than an hour. I might schedule myself three and then I sit there and faff for about, you know, two, um, mm. and then I write for an hour. So, because I, I understand my patterns now, and I, I know that realistically, twelve to five, twelve hundred to fifteen hundred words is a is a maximum for me in any one session. Mm. I might do two sessions. Like if I if I'm really on a roll, I might come back at night later and and knock out a few more. But that twelve hundred to fifteen hundred just seems to be my sweet spot for. I'm not. I'm sort of not laboring over it towards the end. I'm not forcing it. It's just like, okay, and I get to a sort of the end of end of a section and I stop and I walk away. Yeah, um, yeah. And I know different people work in different ways, but you, you, I've, I've figured out that that is pretty much, that's useful, useful mm. words to me. 1,200 to 1,500 useful words and that's it. Cool. You mm. know what I think might be an interesting exercise? In fact, I'm about to start doing it um, okay. with my kind of like daily activities is, well, daily work activities is, and I, st- I got this idea from a guy called Tim Dwyer and he does it for his own sort of, his own version of it, but I'm kind of adapting it with this suggestion for writers is that, so you block off certain periods of time. So I'm going to, you know, copy edit my novel then. I'm going to do this then, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. is to colour code it because oh. as a writer, you do writing, yeah? yeah. You do um, admin because that's unavoidable. Yeah. You've got to invoice and like sign yeah. stuff and, you know, yeah. admin things. And you've got to do promotion or building yeah. your author platform, which I think is really, really important. And there are those three key things. Of course, there's other little things as well, but they can prob- they probably fall under admin or fall under one of those things. Yeah. And if you color code, so let's say you do whatever colors you want. Um, this guy, Tim Dyer, does red, blue, and black. And make red admin. Yeah. And then make marketing and promotion, say, black. And make writing, say, blue. Then when you color code your time, your blocks of time, and you do that for, I don't know, a few weeks or a couple of weeks, and then you have a visual idea of where you're actually spending your time. And if Mm. you find that 50% of your diary is red, which means it's admin, say, that's just too much. Yeah. You know, you're, you're faffing about or you're doing something wrong or you're just not spending enough time writing. And if you find that you spend hardly any in the black, like, um, your marketing and promotion and building your other platform, then, 
there's obviously something wrong there as well. But also it's good for the different phases of your book. Let's say your book has just been released. Well, you need to be spending more time on marketing information. Your, your black area actually needs to go way up. And it's probably a good way to see whether you're allocating your time, you know, in the right way. Yeah, yeah. Good idea. Yeah. So maybe give that a go. If um, people can give that a go, if they're wondering where their time is going and whether they're spending their time effectively. Anyway, let's move on to this cute link that I found. Mm-hmm. Because you know when you go to a Chinese restaurant and you get your fortune cookies? I love them. Love fortune cookies. Love them. Yeah. And um, I love the breaking and I love the for- I love the fortune. I'm not so enamored with the actual taste of the cookie. But someone writes those, right? <laughs> there are fortune <laughs> cookie writers. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so this headline. This could be even better than the greeting card job <laughs> or naming the nail polish. <laughs> I had never thought of writing fortune cookie cookies as my dream job, but maybe it is. Yeah. So this headline prominent fortune cookie writer retiring due to writer's block. <laughs> well, seriously, yeah, like, honestly. I thought it was a joke at first, but it's not. <laughs> Goodness gracious. It's an article by Jennifer Bowen, and it's about a real guy called Donald Lau who has worked at one-time food for 30 years, and he's been the fortune cookie writer. He's, he's also, also the chief financial officer. <laughs> There's a combo for you. Yeah, but he's retiring from uh, being the fortune cookie writer after a linguistic dry spell. Oh. <laughs> he goes, I had Donald. Donald. Said, you should be laughing. This is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. <laughs> Donald says, I have writer's block. I used to write 100 a year, but I've only written two or three a month over the past year. <laughs> 100 a year. Wow, that's impressive. <laughs> so the way he writes his fortune cookie you know, uh, wisdom, is he draws on, um, uh, so no, not, not, not Donald, his replacement is a guy called James, and he is now the chief fortune cookie writer. <laughs> and James says that he draws his fortune writing inspiration from home, specifically from his 10-year-old daughter. I think about what I, <laughs> he goes, I think I, about what I need to talk to her about. <laughs> And basically gives her advice via these fortune cookies. So, I don't know, this just made me laugh. I think it's fantastic. I want to be a fortune cookie writer. What a great gig. What would you write? Like, what would your, you know, sage piece of advice be? I don't know, but you know what I'd probably do is I would channel Zane from the Mapmaker Chronicles because he's like the wisest person I know. Mm. (laughs) I would just get him to write them for me. Good idea, good idea. And they would all be, because in my mind... He has that deep, sonorous voice like Morgan Freeman. So in my mind, all fortune cookies would be read in that voice. Love it. We should get Morgan Freeman to, you know, voice him. Oh, it'd be awesome if he did. Yeah. But, you know, I don't think it's going to happen. It's probably, Morgan's probably, you know, getting, isn't isn't probably not quite the right age now. He's a bit older. Well, true. Shane's not that old. No. You know, he's probably, I think, in my head. He could voice the animated version. Well, it's funny though, because my, I said to my, um, I said to my publisher, we were discussing, you know, casting the film because you know that's mm. what you do when you've got nothing better to do. Um, and I'm like, you know, who's going to be Zane? She's going Idris Elba, and I'm like, you are so right. He <laughs> would be perfect. So yeah, it would right. be him. Okay. Yeah. Can you imagine? Right. Sure. Idris, yeah, if you listen. Yeah. 
Yeah, you're listening. Okay, let's move on to our giveaway. I'm so excited by this giveaway. I love it, love it, love it. Okay. All right. You ready? I'm so ready. Is it? Is this going to be as exciting as the as the word of the week? Or, I mean, should oh. I save should I save a small amount of excitement for the word of the week, or what? Excitement I, I is a well up. that does not empty. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now that sounded like a <laughs> Oh, sorry. Anyway, where were we? <laughs> you can contribute equal amounts of excitement. All right. Oh, okay. All this right. week's giveaway is an Animal Lovers book pack. Okay. okay. We have first prize and second prize. First prize is the fantastic book by Laura Grease, who we've had on the podcast oh, called yeah. Incredible Dog Journeys. In addition to that, you get Zen Dogs by Alex Kearns. In addition to that, you get Pounce by Seth Castile. So cool. These are the most gorgeous, 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 um, you know, books about animals with lots of fantastic photos. I love them. Second okay. prize is Zen Dogs by Alex Kearns and Pounce by Seth Castile. And uh, you can enter now and entries close on Monday, the 20th of February. And if you want to win, just go to writerscentercomau slash win. So remember, writerscentercomau slash win. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you'd like to get paid to see the world, our popular five-week course in travel writing will show you how. From Dubai to Dubbo, learn the steps to bringing destinations to life, as well as how to research and plan your itineraries and exactly what you need to do to approach a travel editor so they will publish your article. All this with a few hours of study each week. You'll enjoy the convenience of online learning and have your very own tutor to provide personal feedback on your writing and answer your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash travel writing course. All right. Are we ready for the word of the week? I'm just refilling my well of excitement. Just give me a moment. (laughs) (laughs) After the Procrasty Pup giveaway there, I have to just quietly recalibrate. Right. I'm ready. Let's go. Are you ready? You ready? You ready? Okay. Okay. You're ready to like whoop with excitement. Okay. This this week's word of the week actually comes in as a suggestion from Split In Writer. So hello at Split In Writer. Thank you for your suggestion. And it is Petrichor. P E T R I C H O R. Petrichor. Sounds like a dinosaur bird. It does, doesn't it? But it's not. According okay. to the Macquarie Dictionary, so it is a real word, the term petrichor was coined in Australia in 1964 by two CSIRO scientists to s- describe the smell that occurs when it rains or is just about to rain. And it was discovered by examining stones and clays that exhibited a distinct smell when moistened or breathed on within a yellowish oil was discovered as the source of the smell and subsequently named petrichor or blood of the stone. Oh. 
Oh. And when rain hits a surface, it traps gases which are released as aerosols, taking with them a component of what they have hit. In these cases, a small portion of petrichor is released with the gases and distributed via wind through the air. There you go. Petrichor. You know what? I think that's actually your best one ever. You reckon? I really like that one. Why? <laughs> because I love that smell. I love that smell. You know, when you know it's about to rain or it, yeah. I love it. It's that sort of that, you know, rising off the asphalt smell. Yeah. I adore it. And so I have to say that I think I had no idea that Stones had blood and I think that is the best one that you've ever had. Oh, you did well with drawing on that well. Look at that. I know. <laughs> You're right. It is refillable at all times. And you know what? If anyone else has any nominations for what they think has been Valerie's best ever word of the week, if you think there's one out there that's better than this one, then please let, it, let me know on Twitter. I would love to hear from it. Love to hear from you. All right. So, Alison, who is mm-hmm. our writer in residence this week? Well, this week we are talking to the lovely Vanessa Carnavale, and she is an Australian author, and her uh, her first novel came out just in January, so not very long ago, and it's been receiving fantastic reviews. And um, Vanessa and I had a really interesting conversation about writing, but also about platform building, because um, Vanessa is someone who started very early with her platform building, and I think it has paid off for her um, quite well, put it this way, quite, well, not obviously, that's not the right word for it, but, you know, from a profile perspective, as a debut author, I feel that the community she's built around her has has been, um, has given her a terrific boost. So anyway, Vanessa and I had an excellent chat, and here she is. Vanessa Carnavale is an author and freelance journalist who also coaches writers, conducts workshops and is the host of Your Beautiful Writing Life, a semi-regular writing retreat held in Tuscany, Italy, plus the co-host of the Your Creative Life podcast, which is currently in hiatus. Her debut novel, The Florentine Bridge, was published in January 2017. Welcome to the program, Vanessa. Thank you so much, Al. I'm so happy to be here. All right. So let's start with the joyous publication story. We love a good trail to publication story. So tell us how your debut novel, The Florentine Bridge, came to be published. Sure. So I, um, I've i been feeling for quite some time that I wanted to write um, a novel. And uh, when I finally did that, um, a couple of years ago, I basically um, didn't know where that story was going to lead. I pantsed my way through the entire thing. And uh, after I was done, I had um, shown my work to uh, to some critique partners and went through that process there and decided that I might query it and, um, you know, and see whether I could actually get this thing published. Um, prior to that, I had dabbled in, you know, writing for children. I'd um, written a couple of picture book manuscripts and I had a go at writing a middle grade novel and uh, they didn't really go anywhere, but I was sort of familiar with the querying process through working on, on those projects. And so uh, when the time came that I felt the book was... Um, um, the manuscript was polished enough. I actually went out and started querying that. I went the traditional way of crafting a query letter, and I actually went through the process of um, having that query letter critiqued as well. So before I actually sent that out, I worked really hard on that, uh, and um, I decided to target both agents 
here in Australia and also in the US with this mm-hmm. um, because I'd gone through that process of querying just local um, agents with the children's manuscripts but felt that there just was a, quite a smaller pool of agents to be able to reach out to um, and so I thought I'll just widen the net a little bit and see how we go in the US and uh, and yeah basically I was lucky enough to find an agent to represent me uh, in New so York. So in the US okay and yeah. what's the name yeah. of your agent there? Her name's Cassie Hanjan and she's at an agency called Waxman Level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so uh, to cut a long story short, Cassie signed me and uh, we worked on uh, some revisions before sending the book out on submission. So she's a, she's quite an editorially hands-on agent, which is perfect for me at this stage in my career. You know, this is the first adult novel I'd written and so um, it fit me perfectly to have somebody that was able to give me editorial feedback and I've learnt a huge amount through the edits that we did. Um, and I love how she's just been able to push me to make my work better and you know if something isn't quite right she's not afraid to send me back to to work on it some more and so finally the time came to send this book out on submission and we were lucky enough to um, receive more than one offer on the book but I ended up signing with Harlequin Mirror for a two-book deal. All right so you actually have a US pub the US publisher Harlequin Mirror or published through Australia here? Through Australia here. Okay all right how exciting and a couple of offers to choose from. Yes, that was right. That so is exciting. yeah. Yeah, and since then we've been able to get a foreign rights deal as well. So the book's going to be published in um, in Slovene. Oh, okay. That's like my map makers came out in Lithuania and I was like, wow, <laughs> who knew? Totally unexpected. <laughs> totally. But yeah, that's all, fantastic. All, exciting. Yeah. all right. So tell me, um, you said that you you you've obviously done quite a lot of of work on query letters and you've done you said you'd had those critiqued and stuff. What did what did you learn? What do you think's the biggest le- lesson that you learned about the query letter process, you know, in refining and actually getting your agent that way? Yeah, look, I think um, this is something I think that is really important to have a conversation about because if I look at the query letter that I crafted, like the the first draft of that query letter um, compared to what I ended up actually sending out, it was vastly different. So, you know, the first time you do something, you don't sort of realise, you know, what what is involved. But basically, in the end, what what I did learn was that, you know, you need to bring to the forefront of the query letter, you need to introduce the, the hook, the conflict, all of the information that is going to really sum up the story and give the give the agent a real sense of what the story is about and make that really clear so you don't need to give the whole ending away or anything it's just really an appetizer there to explain succinctly what the book is about and because the the literary agent is reading that not only to see whether you know this is a book that's going to interest me but they're looking at it from a business perspective of you know can this book be sold so they really need the information up front about not only the story but the word count the genre um you know, maybe some comparative titles depending on what, you know, what the agent may specify on their website um, and that sort of thing. So I just made sure that I had all of that information but, you know, really presented it in a way that was going to to catch her attention. And, you know, the feedback that I later got from Cassie was that this is one of the best career letters that she had um, she had read. She's used it in her workshops when she's, you know, going through um, – you know, teaching other people about what they should be putting in. So I'm really glad that I went through that process and had people, um, you know, look at it and say, well, you know what, this line isn't really clear or is this relevant, you know, because I see a lot of query letters, you know, maybe they, you know, from from 
um, writing friends that maybe are putting too much information in or introducing too many characters or irrelevant information. So you really want to hone that down and, and make it as specific as possible. Okay. So did you end up sort of crafting an elevator pitch, so to speak, for your book, for the Florentine Bridge? Yeah, well, I didn't – it didn't include that elevator pitch. It was more, you know, two, two really um, distinct paragraphs on the book. But obviously, I can't remember exactly what I put in there now, but it would have had, you know, the first two sentences about, you know, what, what the story is actually about. So that – yeah, and like you say, like that elevator pitch, to be able to sum up your book in a couple of sentences is really important. So even if you're not actually putting an elevator pitch in, in there, you should definitely have that in mind so that you can summarize the book okay Vanessa what's your book about (laughs) here we we go go. on the spot because this is what happens isn't it this is what happens people say what's your book about and you need to be able to go bang this is it Absolutely. So The Florentine Bridge is a story about uh, a young woman by the name of me who's in remission from cancer. But while she's been given the all clear, uh, the book looks at what it might be like for someone after they've gone through something like this. So she's dealing with some pretty big fears in her life and being an aspiring artist that's affected her motivation to paint. So uh, essentially when the opportunity to travel to Tuscany presents itself, she takes it in the hope that she might be able to regain that part of herself back and find the inspiration to paint again and along the way she falls in love which is unexpected because this is actually unexpected for me I never set out to write a love story and that's the way it went uh yeah and life throws me and Lucas some pretty major challenges that they need to overcome both as a couple and individuals so there you go summed up a couple of paragraphs right there (laughs) a couple of paragraphs there you go All right, so um, many of the reviews that I've read of the book have mentioned the sense of place that the novel evokes, Um, and I know that this is an area that you're very familiar with. Do you think that your familiarity with the setting helped you to, um, to bring about that sense of place? Definitely. Um, Yeah, so I spent uh, several years living in Florence in my early 20s, and I met my husband over there and during that time I was keeping a lot of notes about what life was like in Italy. So around that time there were some major bestsellers, so Bella Tuscany and Under the Tuscan Sun. There was, you know, a lot of hype about those books and I I loved those memoirs. I loved Frances May's work and um, I was keeping my own notes while I was uh, over there, you know, just about the setting and the people and all the, you know, all the little traditions and customs that I would come across and obviously I was seeing that through the lens of, you know, an Australian girl overseas, even though I do have an Italian background. Uh, and so I hold, held on to those notes uh, for many, many years. Um, and then when I went to write this book, I didn't I didn't quite know what I wanted to write. Like all I knew was that I wanted to write, um, you know, a novel for adults. And basically I just... Um, I, I brought those brought those notes out. My mum kept them for me. So she sent them over to me. And as I read over them, I it was almost like I was going down a trip down memory lane, just you know conjuring up all of these memories about what it was like to step off the plane into a foreign country. And so that's really where the story started. Was that I knew I was going to write a story set in Italy, uh, set in specifically in Tuscany. And then that sort of got me thinking about art and how important art is to that um, particular city. Obviously, Florence is known as the city of art. Uh, I'd also met, uh, while I was over there, an elderly 
painter and uh, and he, after I'd known him for about two weeks, he gave me a gift, an oil painting and a, and a poem that was written especially for me. It was one of the most beautiful gifts anybody's ever given me and I always had a certain fondness for this man. And so based off of him, I was able to create um, a character in the book by the name of Signor Consigne, uh, Fiorelli, that is, and uh, Consigne is the actual gentleman that I knew. But um, based off of based off of that experience with meeting him, I was able to, to create this mentor for Mia. And so the characters basically came from the setting and obviously it's a fictional story and everything, but it really came from there. And I think... Um, you know, that's what definitely has come out for, for readers is that, you know, the ones that have maybe been to Italy have commented that it, it feels like they were reliving, you know, their memories of, of what it was like to, to be in Italy. And for people that maybe haven't been there, they have that lovely experience of, oh, okay, so this is what Italy is like. I haven't been there, but I feel like I have now. So that's lovely. Okay, so you talked about the fact that you pantsed the entire manuscript first draft for the Florentine Bridge, which of course is to write without an outline or a plan. Is that still how you write? Like now that you've actually, because you've completed that manuscript and I believe you've also completed a second manuscript at this point, so you've now written two. Did you find the process changed with writing the second one? Absolutely. Just when I thought I knew what my process was, I basically was in for a really big shock with my second book because, as you said, like I pants my way through the first um, the first one, the Florentine Bridge, the first draft I wrote over six weeks. And so there I was naively thinking with my second book, maybe I have a lovely experience like that again. But it wasn't like that at all. I um, When I was offered the two book deal, um, I was asked to send through a pitch for the second book. So um, luckily before I started, I had already started writing the second one, uh, but basically I was very lucky. I had um, just two paragraphs that I had written, similar to what you'd write maybe in a query letter that just basically outlined the hook and, and what the story was generally about. Um, and so I used that outline to write the second book, but the second book took me almost a year yeah, pretty much a year to, to write the first draft. Oh, so That is go. very different. Mm, very, very different. And what do you think was the reason for that? Like in the sense of, you know, was it, did your time constraints change or because you would have also been editing the first book as this was all going on, I would imagine. Exactly. I think it was a combina- combination of a few different things. It was um, – Having so much on my plate last year, I had the writing retreat in Italy to prepare for. I had copy edits coming through for the Florentine Bridge. I had, you know, I had this outline, but I, I wasn't as familiar with the setting. The second book is set on a flower farm, and so I had to do a lot of research in relation to that. Mm. And uh, and so it just was, you know, it was a different book, and I felt like it, well, I wasn't really – I didn't have that luxury of time to immerse myself in it the way that I did with the first novel. So I really, it was fits and starts. So Mm -hmm. just, um, you know, there would be maybe one or two weeks where I just wouldn't have time to go back to the manuscript. And so when I did, it was, it felt like I was just starting all over again, having to read over the previous chapters and familiarize myself with the story again. And it was just, yeah, very different process. And, and, um, yeah, I guess, I guess it's just going to be remain to be seen, you know, with the next book, um, how that ends up going but yeah it's um it's really interesting I think because we think we know our processes where it's a question we're asked all the time like what's your writing process and I think what I've learned is that you know every book is different requires something different too from us so did you have that moment of 
oh no, I'm not going to actually get this done? Like, did you have that, you know, was it that situation where because it was so different, you freaked out? I did freak out. I think there is definitely this thing called second book syndrome. Mm. (laughs) And I think, I hope that it doesn't exist with third books because, uh, yeah, I think for me the other thing was, if I'm honest, is that I was very, very lucky in that the first adult novel that I sat down to write sold. Mm. I didn't have, you know, a host of, um, practice novels behind me so I had to prove to myself with the second book that I actually could write the book that it wasn't just a fluke this is in my mind you know mm. I had to really overcome that and I've got to say like I'm really glad that I did it and I went through this and I feel completely blessed and grateful but going into my third book I've, I, I've got a little bit more confidence I've got to say in terms of um, you know I've proven now that I can write a book off an outline without being so familiar with the second and all of that sort of thing so mm. okay and so do you write um every day or is that would that just be luxury <laughs> that would be a luxury that would be a luxury I try to write every day but there are some days that are just so hectic with the kids with the family with the sporting commitments and everything that I just I literally can't fit it in no matter how hard I try um, because you do work I, part-time as well don't you I do I work three days a week outside the home so that definitely eats into my writing time so yeah I mean I, I try to write most days but I'm you know I'm not too strict on myself if I miss a day then so be it I think I have to have that attitude otherwise it just it becomes something that I start to resent you know I start to resent things it becomes difficult you know and I don't want writing to feel like that so I just I just try and go with the flow and how do you like just on that you know situation uh, how many children do you have I've got two so you have two children you have a three day a week job you you're writing you're also now of course involved in the publishing process so you're editing you're doing your you know uh, marketing stuff which is particularly when the book comes out I think is actually it's surprising how all encompassing that actually can be um, so how do you make time for the writing when you've got all of that stuff going on so I have two set writing days those are my days off and I guard those days quite fiercely so I will not make um, I'll try not to make appointments on those days I really just you know come home after I drop the kids off from school and I go to the desk and I try and, and write so those are those are my two days where I know I'm guaranteed to get writing done um, on the other days if uh, I'm under a deadline if I'm feeling that you know I need to make some headway or if I really you know am itching to get those words down that I know maybe I'll forget a scene if I don't I will get up early in the morning to do that so there's been many many weeks where I've maybe set the alarm clock for 5 five thirty in the morning to be able to just fit it in because I'm not one of these like I do write at night if I have to fit it in I mean mm. I will do it but ideally I don't like doing that because I find it really hard to fall asleep after I've been writing because mm-hmm. the characters just don't switch off like I, my brain just doesn't switch off I find it really hard to sleep and then I'm tired in the morning which kind of just you know it's not a wreck cycle for me so I'd rather get up early in the morning to do it uh yeah so the other thing that I do is because um I'm so busy with the kids activities I take a notebook with me everywhere and so when I'm waiting for the kids um I will often do writing by hand in my notebook or jot down ideas there and I also use Scrivener and um I think one of the greatest things about Scrivener now is that you can sync it to your phone or iPad so Mm. I can just pick up where I'm where I've left off um that way so Mm. yeah there's a few little few little tools that I have tools and tricks (laughs) 
you just got to fit it in, don't you? Mm. Like that's it's it's just finding out what works for you, and then finding those little slivers of time where you can. Um, all right. So going back to the publishing process, did anything surprise you about that? Like, was there any sort of step along that way that made you go, "Oh, I wasn't expecting mm. that." Not so much. And I think the reason for that is that we've got um, a wonderful, I guess, wonderful resources out there that kind of are able to educate us. So I've been doing the podcast and I started that before I got my offer of publication. So I'd been speaking with authors, you know, on a weekly basis and really learned about, you know, what to expect via that, via your podcast and that sort of thing. So I don't know that there were any major surprises. Um along the way for me it was a really smooth pleasant experience even you know for me the the copy edit was combined with the structural edit so that was all pretty straightforward I mean I don't know what I was expecting but it was it was actually a pleasant surprise maybe that's not going to be the case with the second book but um you know hey I'll just enjoy the first one how how you know how that panned out that was really great so yeah for me yeah not, not so many surprises and I think that's just because I was able to kind of um you know hear about other people's experiences and you yeah, things went relatively smoothly for me, which is great. All right. So just on the podcast, because um, how many episodes of the podcast uh, are actually in existence at this point? I think we did about 60 episodes. Yeah, so quite a yeah. few. So when did you actually start podcasting? I think it was October. Yeah, so that would have been October 2015, I think it was. Yeah. All right. So had about. you written your manuscript at that point? I had yes. Okay. So, so yeah. why did you start the podcast? Was it a was it a sort of a uh, deliberate platform building thing that you were doing, or what did you what why did why did you do that? I think it was, for me it was curiosity. It was you know it was you know we spend so much time behind our desks, and you know it can be quite solitary. So for me, I liked the idea of maybe going out and being able to connect with other writers out there, and so that gave me a, an ability to do that. But it was also an ability to see you know what what would it be like to create a podcast and and you know and be able to kind of be a part of the community in a different way. And obviously, there's you know some you know great. Um, benefits to doing that in terms of platform and that sort of thing so that was you know it was a sort of combination of everything there and um you know I've got to admit like it was quite scary because you know I was doubting myself as you know who are you to do this podcast like you're you know you're you haven't been been published yet or you know like Mm. who are you to you know what right do you have to build this platform when you don't know where things are going to go so I was definitely out of my comfort zone in in doing that but it's been you know a really really rewarding thing to do I'm really glad that I I did it. Is it something you'd recommend for authors or, you know, for aspiring authors to do? I think the answer is definitely it depends. It really depends on the writer because um, I've got to say, you know, before before the book came out, you know, I'd been working on my platform for quite a long time before um, before I got my contract and, um, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to know whether it makes a difference in terms of moving the needle of book sales and things like that. Yeah. But, you know, because obviously that can't be, you know, that can't be the sole reason that you're doing this. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm active online because I love connecting with people. I love people. I love the sense of community that it gives me. Um, in terms of whether I recommend doing a, a podcast, I think it really depends on how much time you have to commit to it. And one of the things with me when I set out to do this, I said to myself, I'm going to do it for six months mm. and I'll commit to six months of worth of episodes. And if I find that it's too much, then I'll stop doing it after six months. But at least I know that I'll have six months that I gave this a go. And um, I ended up doing it for over a year 
but um, there's a huge amount of time involved um, so that there's that consideration as well so I think a lot of the time when you decide to do something whether it's you know you start to do I don't know video interviews on your on your blog or you know a podcast you really need to work out whether you're able to commit to us to it for a certain period of time because there's nothing worse than starting something and then having to stop it mm. um yeah so I think that's definitely a consideration but yeah it's in terms of how rewarding it is it was yeah I would say it was definitely up there do you think that the biggest lesson you learned since you began podcasting was that just that time commitment that it takes like was that um you know in the sense of the actual podcasting process because I think it actually probably surprises people uh, mm. just how much work is involved in creating, like particularly a regular and consistent podcast, it does take a real commitment, doesn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, as you would know, there's, you know, the the people that you need to research of who you might like to get onto the show, then you need to research their books to familiarise yourself with them. For a lot of the guests that I would have on the show, you know, I was inter- interviewing guests that, you know, I was very interested in reading their books. So, you know, there was that element to it as mm. well. So there's all the research involved, there's contact with them, there's scheduling the interview, which usually takes longer than the actual recording because obviously, <laughs> you know, you, you so get tired through the conversations and what have you that's only natural and yeah. then there's the editing of it so um kim and i would do our own editing there's the uploading then there's yeah. the social media scheduling yeah. you know all of that there's yeah. just so much involved so you know that half hour podcast could um potentially take you two three hours to put together yeah, so that's right. you know there, there's a huge amount of work involved in it so yeah all right. So as you mentioned, you are an author who had your platform well in place before your novel came out. Was that a conscious step like, or did that evolve over time? Or did you, I mean, was it something you thought, well, I'm writing this manuscript, I'm going to give it the best chance I can? Or how did you, you know, how did it all come about? combination of both I think when I started blogging and started my website there wasn't all this chat of um, authors or writers needing to have an online platform so you know I had the blog and you know I was I was working on that and that was just sort of you know in the, in the beginning it was just sort of like dabbling with it you know like okay I'm calling myself a writer now and here we are with you know with the blogging sort of side of things and we'll give this a go and then it sort of just grew from there and then um, you know obviously you know as you as you're doing that and you're moving towards the um, goal of publication, you start to see the value in you know in being able to you know take it maybe a little bit more seriously and be a little bit more consistent and professional with it because you know the thing is you know we are hearing you know we hear about you guys you Val and Al talking about this all the time is that it's not easy to sell a book. So, you know, why wouldn't you help yourself with, mm. you, you know, with creating that platform? Because it really is, you know, if people don't know about your book, how are they going to find your book? So why not facilitate that? And, mm. you know, I think it's it's a lovely thing to be able to put yourself out there and have um, that potential to talk about your work and, you know, and reach readers. And now that, you know, I do have the platform, I'm so glad that I did it before I was published because, you know, I've just launched a book and I can definitely see that it has made a difference I'm you know that's I'm just so honestly I'm so grateful for people that have 
said to me, you know, I've, I found you via your podcast and I just mm. read your book and I loved it. I'm so glad that I came across it. You know, there's nothing, what greater words are there? I mean, it's, it's just such an honour that people would actually go out and take that step to buy your book because they've listened to your podcast or read your blog or connected with you on Facebook. It's just so lovely and I've been so well supported and the enthusiasm has been up there and I have no doubt whatsoever that this that those messages, those readers just wouldn't be there if I wasn't online. Mm, it's so true. And I, I think it's 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 probably not until your book comes out that you really feel the impact of that. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I, and I understand how people get frustrated, and you feel like you're sort of writing into into the mire, into the oblivion, into the mire, whatever. And then, but it's not actually until the book comes out, and you're actually able to continue the conversation about the book well after the launch that you really see sort of the fruits of those many, many hours that you may have put in, you know, in the lead up to the, to the actual launch of the book. Yeah. Um, now, the other thing that I, that is, I think, uh, really quite impressive is your website, which is very well organized. Like I, when I look at your website, has, was, is that something again, that's evolved or have you, it, it looks like, you know, somebody's taken a lot of time to think a, quite long and hard about the navigation of the site and the look of the site and all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, so I have had a few um, different websites. Mm. So uh, I initially started out with, um, I think, uh, WordPress and um, I can't remember how many iterations of the WordPress website I had, but that went through a couple of iterations. And then I switched to, um, yeah, to, to, to Squarespace, which is just fantastic, nice, mm. clean website. And, yeah, I'm self-taught, so I just get on YouTube and try and teach myself what to do. And, uh, yeah, and I just put together put together something that, yeah, I just thought was nice and clean and, and easy to navigate. And, yeah, I try and, yeah, just try and basically, yeah, have, you know, have all the information there and have it really pretty presented in a really clear and um yeah easy to find way so I guess because that's the thing isn't it the information is all out there for Mm. the taking really isn't it like it's everything you need to know about pretty much everything is out there somewhere if you you know take the time to go and have a look for it yeah definitely and it's so lovely I get a lot of comments on the website which is really nice too so um yeah it's nice when you know that you're doing something right (laughs) all right well you can find that website at vanessacarnevale.com v-a-n-e-s-s-a-c-a-r-n-e-v-a-l-e and we will of course put the notes um in the show notes the the link in the show notes to the site but definitely worth having a look at if you're in the process of creating your author website now you conduct a lot of workshops and even as we mentioned a writing retreat in Italy um do you have any tips for authors who may be considering creating workshops because I know the first time you do a workshop it can feel incredibly overwhelming yeah and this is something I'm so glad that you asked this question because um I'd love to tell writers out there that, you know, no matter where you are at in your um, career, you people still need to hear what you have to say or people will still be interested to hear. Sorry, I'll put my phone on um, Do Not Disturb. It's still buzzing. Um, so, <laughs> so you basically have, you know, an audience out there that is going to need to hear what you have to say. So, you know, I know that it can be really scary to kind of say, oh, I want to go and do a workshop or I want to blog about a certain topic. However, you know, I think you're always going to find people that are willing to hear that information or need to hear that information. So just go within your comfort zone in terms of what you feel that you're able to teach 
just work on that and then, you know, and then go out there and see, you know, who's going to be interested in, in doing that. Because I think most of it is fear that holds us back in terms of, um, you know, in terms of taking those first steps towards doing that sort of thing. So don't go too much out far, too far outside your comfort zone. Just maybe teach what you know and, and yeah, and see what evolves from there. So that's basically what I did. You know, I was holding workshops before I was published, but I was working on, you know, I was presenting workshops that spoke about writing and mindfulness and you know how to write with presence and how to use that as a tool to kind of help you Mm. write and you know I trained as a life coach so I brought in coaching into you know into my workshops to help you know writers work with their goals and work out you know why was why is it important for you to write so I kind of just came to it from that angle there of what I felt comfortable with and just you know just progress from there so because chances are you're always going to be one or two steps further down the path of, you know, writing or towards publication or whatever than someone else who will want to hear what you have to say about the point that you're at. Is that correct? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. All right. And so what are you working on at the moment, Vanessa? So I just handed in my second manuscript uh, before Christmas, which is a huge relief, that mm. one that we spoke about earlier. The troublesome that's manuscript, right. yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's another love story. It's, um, set on a flower farm and it um, without going into it too much it looks at um, explores the role that memory plays in our life by asking the question if we had our time over would we live the same life twice and uh, yeah so it was yeah not not so easy to write but I'm really glad with how it turned out um, you know obviously I persevered through there and my publisher's gotten back to me saying that she absolutely loved it so I got the tick of approval which Woo-hoo. is fantastic yay and, uh, and now I'm going to be starting my third book so yeah I'm still not percent sure on what I want to write but um, I'm assuming that I'm going to figure most of that out on the page and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, so you're and just going to make that up as you go along. I'm gonna make, yeah, I mean at the moment I've just got, yeah, I've just got one one tiny, one, one sort of tiny idea. It's just the conflict. That's all I know for the moment but I'll start working it out on the page and once I do that then I will probably go back to outlining and then, yeah, and then go back to writing. So we'll just see how this one turns out. Fantastic. All right. So we're going to finish up today with our usual, you know, last question, which of course is your three top tips for aspiring writers. What have you got for us, Vanessa? (laughs) I love this part of your podcast. Uh, (laughs) You can always tell the people that have been totally taken by surprise by it, can't you? Oh, because you don't ask for one, you ask for three. No, no, we need three immediately (laughs) on the spot right now. There you go. So I would say reading is definitely up there. So read as much as you can. I hear, you know, when I hear writers saying they don't have time to read, I just want to tell them, no, 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 read. Because, you know, reading, I think it's, it's so important for not only for pleasure, because it, you know, it gives you that. By osmosis, you're going to learn what read, what writers are doing, um, you know, by reading for pleasure. But also, I would recommend reading, taking note of what you're reading. So try and use it as a tool to to really learn. So, for example, uh, if you are reading a book and it's not holding your attention, and you want to and you want to put it down, have a look at, you know, what is making you put that book down? What, you know, is it the characters? Are they flat? Is it the dialogue? Really look at those things. Likewise, uh, if there's a book that is a real page turner for you, what is the author doing? If, a, you know, if a scene elicits an emotional response from you, whether it's, you know, start crying or laughing, have a look at, at what, 
what is the author doing in that scene? Like, what have they done in the lead up to that scene? Uh, so, you know, really taking advantage of, you know, the, the books around you to kind of learn from. So reading is definitely up there. I would also say critique is up there for me. So I've learned just as much from critiquing other people's work mm. than I have from receiving feedback on my work because when you're reading somebody's work, um, you know, with critique in mind, you're reading it to see, you know, what can be improved here, what maybe isn't working. It's so much easier to see that in somebody else's work than in your own, uh. in my opinion anyway. Uh, so that that's really important. And, um, and then the last one I would say is trust. So, you know, writing requires so much trust. So, you know, we need to trust ourselves to start the book, to finish the book. While we're writing, you know, you need to trust the voice, your characters, the plot, the story to really get us through that. And that, for me, with my second book was the biggest lesson that, that yeah. I think I learned. It was just, you know, just Vanessa, you have to just keep trusting, just keep trusting, keep writing, and, and you get there. So... Fantastic. All right, Vanessa, well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate all the things we've talked about, and I'm sure that our listeners will as well. Um, Of course, Vanessa's debut novel, The Florentine Bridge, is out now, and you can find out more about it and Vanessa at vanessacarnavale.com. And, yeah, thanks very much for popping by. Thanks so much for having me, Al. Wow, that was awesome. I mean, I remember actually meeting Vanessa ages ago, like at a high tea in Collingwood, <laughs> of all things. There you go. All right. And, um, you know, when the uh, the book was a mere gleam in her eye, and it's so good to see her succeed like this. Fantastic. Well, I just I think there's two things that, that we can take away, particularly from that interview. One is just that notion of how she started the platform early um, mm. and you know I think it's worth noting that in Booktopia's recent um, Australia's favourite author poll Vanessa um, made the final so she made the top 75 of the mm. top 50 for someone whose first book only came out in January 2017 2017 yeah. mm. to make the finals of the top of, of Australia's favourite author poll for 2017 is a pretty big achievement and I and I think that's based on that as I said on the community that she's built around her as well as you know obviously she's written a terrific book Mm -hmm. um, and it's gained you know quickly gained a readership and um, Mm. a lot of great reviews so but I you know would that have happened so quickly without that platform in place I don't Mm. think so so definitely there's a lesson to be had there and the other thing I think that's worth noting too is that she um, she's tried uh, quite a few different things. Like she does quite a few different things. She does workshops. She's on Twitter. She does whatever. She you, has mean, the, you mean to build her platform? To build her platform, sorry, right. yes. Mm-hmm. So she, she's tried quite a few different things. And one of those things that she has done has been her podcast, which I think has got about 47 or 48 episodes, I think she said. Mm-hmm. Um, and the podcast is now in hiatus because she's realized that it's taking up an enormous amount of time. And as mm. you sort of like, as your books get published, you, it's a funny thing, but you sort of get even less time. And I know people got people think, are oh, they going to publish a book, and they're going to have all this time to write? But in actual fact, what you get is less time, particularly mm. if you're working 
three days a week out of the home as Vanessa is. Um, she's trying to write another manuscript. She's trying to edit a manuscript. She's trying to promote the first book. Like the, the juggle that comes with actually having the book published is a whole nother story. And so she's put the podcast into hiatus. The episodes that she's done are, or are still there and will always be there, but she's not afraid to walk away from it, particularly for the time being, when it's too much to juggle. And I think that you need to... Mm-hmm. That, I think that that's an important lesson too. It's like if something's not particularly working for you right now, you don't have to continue with it. You know, put your energies into something that is working for you right now, whether that be writing the book, which of course is the most yeah. important thing, or or whatever. But like, choose just you only have you don't have to be everywhere. I think that's a really mm. important message. So, um, yeah. Anyway, it was a great interview, and I I, I hope that. Um, um, aspiring and emerging authors had a, had a good listen to this, some of the things that she had to say. She had some terrific advice in there. Fantastic. And, of course, lots of great advice is also in Alison's course, How to Build Your Author Platform. And it's fantastic because it literally takes you step-by-step step into the exact things you need to do in order to get started and build your author platform. And make sure that you start doing it as early as possible, even if your book is a mere gleam in your eye. So That's you right. Can, yeah, definitely very important. Don't wait till it's too late. I mean, it's never too late in a sense, but the earlier you start, the better. So you can find out more, writerscenter.com.au slash platform. That's writercenter.com.au slash platform to get everything you need to know on how to build your author platform. All right, so we're almost the end of this week's episode, Al. What are you doing in the coming week? Um, well, I'm focused on, well, yeah, as we discussed last week, my copy edit um is due this week so I'm just really focused on getting that finished and then uh, what else am I doing well I'm also working out the publicity strategies for not only the Mapmaker Chronicles number four be on the edge of the map which is coming out in March but I'm also working on the strategy of what I can do with regards to the US launch of the Mapmaker Chronicles in June Um, and you know like that this is something I started working on towards the end of last year because, you know, it's not till June, but it takes a while to get things in place. Like I'm reaching out mm. to different bloggers that I know and talking to different people and looking at um, where I can place reviews and all of that sort of stuff. And it's not something that you can do in two weeks. So I have to kind mm. of, you know, I'm trying to take a little, you know, I'm taking my own advice, a little by little approach yes. <laughs> in the lead up to the to that. Fantastic. And if you were color coding your diary, you would color code that blue. If I was color coding my diary, it would look like no, a no, rainbow. Yeah, yes. At the moment, okay, it would just enough. be insane. So, yeah, I'll do it one day and I'll show you. <laughs> okay. All right, wonderful. Well, I am going to be heading to Melbourne to speak at an event at the Convention Centre on how to build your profile. So that should be fun. It's going to be good to connect with a lot of mainly business book authors there. So, or, or, or people who want to write um, non-fiction books about their area of expertise. And, of course, if you're interested in doing that, you can check out my new course, which is called Build Your Book. 
grow your business and showcase your knowledge. So it's specifically for people who run businesses, they're entrepreneurs or they're consultants or keynote speakers, or you know you have a really important um, message to send out. So you might be even a nutritionist or a chiropractor or or somebody you know in a service industry who wants to help your audience understand a particular message or understand your area of interest more. And um, you can find out more about that writercenter.com.au slash build your book. That's writercenter.com.au slash build your book. So until we chat again, Al, where do we find you online? You will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. Fantastic. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And, you know, feel free to connect with me on Facebook. I'm Valerie Koo in Sydney. And we'd love to hear from you. And, of course, you'll also find the show notes at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.